Vic Fangio hates fantasy football and an update on the 49ers receiving core on this episode of Fantasy Football in 15. Welcome to another episode of Fantasy Football in 15 here at The Athletic. It is Friday, August 21st. We are now inside three weeks. Got to say three weeks away from the first game of the NFL season yesterday. Today, inside three weeks from that first game of the NFL season. Again, Chiefs and Texans on Thursday Night Football. Derek Van Riper and Michael Beller here with you. DVR, what's going on? Happy Friday. Happy Friday, indeed. Looking forward to uh, getting out, hopefully doing some grilling this weekend. Uh, what do you got on tap? Yeah, got to uh, savor these uh, last few reliable weeks of summer weather right here in the upper Midwest. Uh, you never know exactly when it'll turn. We should be good this weekend, next weekend, the f- week, few weekends after that. But uh, yeah, definitely uh, planning on getting outside and enjoying that while we still can. Uh, we're going to have a lot of football to enjoy over the next, uh, not the next few weeks, but the weeks and weeks and weeks after that. And uh, we've got some things to cover here on this episode of Fantasy Football in 15. Not a huge news day on Thursday, but still some good things to get into. The first thing that we're going to dive into is the Denver backfield. I said Vic Fangio hates fantasy football in the intro. And, you know, a little hyperbolic because we always knew this was going to be some sort of split between Melvin Gordon and Philip Lindsay in the Denver backfield, but Vic came right out and said it on Thursday, saying that uh, both of them will be playing enough to where we don't really have to designate a starter. Right now, Melvin Gordon is the RB17 by ADP, going somewhere in the mid to late third round of a typical draft. Philip Lindsay, the RB37, early on in the ninth round of a draft. Again, DVR, we knew these guys were going to be splitting the load, so it's not as though Vic Fangio made news with what he said. I will say, however, that it just makes it even harder to get on board with Melvin Gordon at that cost. Yeah, that's what it comes down to. It's just Melvin Gordon at that cost. If Melvin Gordon were going in the middle of the fifth round instead of the middle of the third, you could at least entertain the idea that he is useful to fantasy owners at that price. Now, you might be able to draft him in the third round and live to tell the tale. I'm not going to do it. I think there are other backs in that range who have safer workloads. They don't have talented backs like Lindsey vying for a significant share of the workload. Even if it's 60-40 or 65-35 favoring Gordon, compare that to the workload of James Conner. Compare that to the workload of Le'Veon Bell. And it's really easy for me to just steer away because I see a much higher volume floor with those other backs. And I think part of this for me continues to be that I like Philip Lindsay as a player. I, yes. I like both of these guys. I'm kind of sad they're both in the same backfield because I want them both to play more than they can by being on the same team. So I just can't draft Gordon at the price so long as Lindsay stays healthy. And I actually do like taking the flyer where Lindsay goes because you can use him as an occasional flex guy for now. And maybe by the time the bye weeks get here, He'll actually be a staple and possibly play up as sort of a lower-end RB2. A couple of other guys in that range where you see Melvin Melvin Gordon coming off the board, Leonard Fournette, another guy who should have pretty good volume in Jacksonville's offense, David Johnson, someone who we expect to dominate Houston's backfield. It's so interesting that he is in this group of, you know, sort of ho-hum veteran running backs, guys who we know what to expect. I wouldn't put James Conner or Le'Veon Bell necessarily in that ho-hum category, but guys who we know basically what to expect, probably not huge ceilings for these guys or ceilings that are way up 
from what we've seen over the last couple of years. But all four of those guys we talk about uh, are dudes who we totally expect to be in complete control of their backfield. That is not the case with Melvin Gordon. So interesting to see him going in there. I think Philip Lindsay's one of the best zero RB targets there is. And I don't think you need to be employing a zero RB strategy to be intrigued by Philip Lindsay. But if you are going that route and you do load up on receivers, maybe get an elite tight end early on, I mean, you can't be upset about Philip Lindsay as one of your top backs, even if he doesn't supplant Gordon, even if he is stuck on the short end of a timeshare all season. He's proved to us that he can do plenty of good work while sharing the backfield, and there is no guarantee that he doesn't flip the script and become the one to Gordon's two. Melvin Gordon has dealt with some injury issues over the last couple of years. Philip Lindsay, to me, zero RB, no zero RB, whatever it might be, one of the best targets out there this season. Yeah, absolutely. I don't think it necessarily matters what strategy you're employing. I think he's absolutely a good target at the price, and I think it's wise to bring up Gordon's injury history Pretty heavy workload during his time at Wisconsin. A lot of injuries have followed him into the NFL. It's just the function of being a high-volume player coming through college and into his pro career. I mean, he was a three-down back for most of his time with the Chargers as well. It, it just catches up to a player, and sometimes you can only expect 12, 13 games from a guy instead of 16 every year. Yeah, you go back to his first big year at Wisconsin, you're now getting close to a decade's worth of high-volume work as a running back that is going to take a toll on anyone's body. And Melvin Gordon suffered a minor rib injury in practice on Thursday, so something to keep an eye on. He wasn't the only one in Denver camp with an injury on Thursday. K.J. Hamler is going to be out a couple of weeks with a hamstring injury, puts week one in doubt for him. He was always going to be probably not even a late-round flyer in most fantasy leagues, maybe a early season waiver wire watch guy Uh, we know that he is probably running fourth at best for targets on that team and then we talk about Gordon and Lindsay also being involved as well so uh, KJ Hamler uh, going to be missing some time here a couple of injuries in the Kansas City receiving core Tyreek Hill suffered a hamstring injury in practice on Thursday obviously that's when you're going to want to watch closely as your drafts approach Sammy Watkins has missed the last two days of practice with a groin injury he more in the not quite late round flyer range, but probably just a step before that. So another guy to keep an eye on over the next couple of weeks here. Let's talk about a couple of running backs who are impressing early on in camp. Damian Harris in New England, Daryl Henderson in Los Angeles. DVR, we've talked about both of these guys, so we don't need to dive too deep into the situations that they are dealing with respectively. Let's just do this. I will say you take one, and I'll just take the other. Pick and choose whichever one you want. I'll go with the other guy. The news here, though, is that both are getting opportunities to show what they can do as at least um, you know semi-major players in their offenses, and both are taking advantage of a couple of injuries in their own camps. I think the problem with the opportunity there is how James White will continue to be utilized as a pass-catching specialist. At a bare minimum, White's going to be on the field a lot in third-down situations, but he's going to be on the field a little more than that, too. So you're basically talking about two guys in Harris and Miller who are competing for the Sony Michelle role, and that relies entirely on game script. So then you have to start saying, okay, are the Patriots in 2020 going to be like the Patriots we got used to for the last 20 years with Tom Brady, where they're usually winning and they're going to have good balance and they're going to be able to run 15 plus times per week on early downs. Cause that's more or less like Sony Michelle has good games when they win and control the clock. And right. 
he doesn't have very good games when they throw more because he's not on the field as much in those situations. I think that same sort of logic applies to Damian Harris. So the price is low. I mean, I, I think you could take the occasional shot in this New England backfield on a non-James White running back because the price is so low. But this could be a revolving door all season. You know, it, it could be Harris initially, and then it, once healthy, it could be Lamar Miller. And if Miller struggles to stay healthy, maybe by then Michelle's back into the picture, or maybe Rex Burkhead shows up, or maybe some other running back who's not even in New England right now emerges. It's it's just a situation that's set up to be very bad for us as fantasy players. So if you have someone you like, by all means, at the price, there's nothing wrong with taking that chance. I just, I still don't see a clear cut standout option just yet. Yeah, definitely. I'm not going to tell you, you can't take Damian Harris as the RB 56. What are you crazy? Of course you can't say that RB 56 is basically a free space. Do whatever you want with it. I'm just not going to be getting involved in this backfield. Lamar Miller, uh, Sony Michelle, if, and when he can come back from the foot injury, Damian Harris, they're just way too many parts. And Bill Belichick has shown himself willing to commit to a Corey Dillon when he has one, a Steven Ridley when he has one, but more often than not, he is more than happy to just cycle guys in, cycle guys out. Jonas Gray, the perfect example of this. It's just always something that not only is he going to lean into when he can, but he's proven can work for him. We'll see if it can work without Tom Brady, but I'm never going to trust Bill Belichick's backs unless it is a guy who is clearly the standout player on the offense. I'm not sure that that guy is on this team. James Wade has his role. We haven't even talked about Rex Burkhead, so I am mostly avoiding this New England backfield. I'll just quickly say on Daryl Henderson that I've liked him all season or all off season. He's one of my favorite targets, the RB 43. You can get him basically in the 11th, 12th round, depending on uh, your draft and the sort of uh, vigor that exists in your league for him. I really like Daryl Henderson, another guy who I think is a great zero RB target and also a great target for anyone looking for some upside at the running back position, just because as good as Cam Akers was in college and as uh, much draft capital as this team invested in him, as much respect as we have to give him as the likely uh, quote starter, the nominal starter to begin the year. That is far from etched in stone, and we loved Daryl Henderson a year ago, so I really do think that he is someone who there's almost no downside to taking at cost. Again, 11th, 12th round, somewhere in there of a 12-team league. Uh, We know what his receiving ability is. We know what his explosive ability is. I don't think Malcolm Brown is going to be a serious threat. I think if it was going to happen for Malcolm Brown, it would have happened by now. I don't think they would have gone after Daryl Henderson in the draft last year if they thought that Malcolm Brown could be a worthy successor to Todd Gurley in some form or fashion. So Daryl Henderson, totally on my radar as the RB43 coming off the board, 11th, 12th round in 12-team leagues. A little bit more news from the Patriots. Nikhil Harry has missed his second straight practice with an undisclosed injury. This team is desperate for speed, athleticism on the outside. It was glaring how much they lacked it last season. They need Nikhil Harry to emerge as the late first-round receiver. They thought that they were getting last year, but he's missed two straight practices with an injury, so we will keep an eye on that. Our last big story of the day concerns the San Francisco 49ers and their wide receivers. Uh, First, we know Debo Samuel dealing with a foot injury, a potentially serious foot injury in terms of how it lingers, but Kyle Shanahan saying the team is hopeful that Debo will be available in week one, three weeks out from the start of the season. Very easy thing for a head coach to say, probably something he would say 
almost no matter what, unless it were a, mer- were a more serious injury. I think realistically, we're still going to be a couple of weeks into the season until we see Debo Samuel. And that leads us to Brandon Ayuk, the rookie who is getting plenty of run with the first team at practice thus far. Uh, this is someone who could really emerge and has an opportunity to do so because of that Samuel injury. Let's start with Samuel, however, DVR. Right now, he is the wide receiver 35 by ADP. Mid-eighth round, other guys in his range, Marvin Jones, Christian Kirk, CeeDee Lamb, Darius Slayton. Are you comfortable taking him there, or will you need a discount if you're going to jump in on him? Uh, I think that's a fair range, although within that group, uh, Jones and Kirk are definitely ahead of Debo for me. I think in a full PPR scenario, Jamison Crowder is just really safe. I'm lower on Darius Slayton than most, probably because I'm higher on Golden Tate than most. So I guess I would say Samuel over Slayton and Samuel over Lamb, mostly because Lamb has so much competition for targets in Dallas. Like Those would be two guys for sure that I would put in the same category in terms of where I'm willing to draft them. And with Debo, it's like the chances of him being the number one once he comes back seem pretty high, but he's the number one on a team that just gave George Kittle a ridiculous amount of money and George Kittle's the one in this offense. Right. You know, it's, it's kind of a, what can he do as the two on a team that runs the ball really well? And you're taking on injury risk with that. So, I don't know. I mean, I, I like him at the price because I like the talent, but I'm very cautious about taking on too much injury risk. If I don't have a very risk-heavy team up to that point, I'm comfortable taking Samuel within that group, but he's kind of mid-pack for me. Yeah, I think that's a perfect way to say it. And I also am not taking him if he's, you know, like the third receiver. If I would take him at cost and he would be the third receiver on my team, you can't do that. I can't do I can't go into a season with a guy who has this sort of foot injury and is the number two pass catcher on a run heavy offense being the third receiver on my team. If he's the fifth receiver on my team and I'm shooting for some upside, then I could see getting in on Debo Samuel. I think it needs to be that sort of, it's not a perfect storm. Obviously there's going to be someone or two people or even three people in pretty much every single draft who find themselves in basically that situation. But I think you need to be in that situation for him to make uh, sense as the wide receiver 35 coming off the board in the middle of the eighth round. How interested are we in Brandon Ayuk? This is someone who really is going to have an opportunity, especially if Samuel is going to be out for even just two weeks. And that, uh, that wide receiver depth chart totally unsettled behind Samuel. Even if Samuel were healthy, that would be the case with Jalen Hurd out for the season after tearing his ACL. I think this is someone who becomes a pretty interesting flyer. Wide receiver 59, 14th, 15th round of a 12-team league. Golden Tate, someone who we both like. He is in that same range. Sammy Watkins, Michael Pittman, Alan Lazard. I'm taking Tate ahead of him. I may be taking Lazard ahead of him. I am taking Ayuk ahead of Watkins and Pittman and almost everyone else in that range. I'm taking him over Pittman for sure. I think Watkins is a little more of a toss-up for me just because having exposure to the Kansas City offense is just fun. It doesn't take a ton of targets to do a lot of damage there, but I do like the idea of taking Ayuk at this price. I think it's a case where he's probably more of like a wide receiver 40 to 45 most weeks to begin the season Mm -hmm. if we're assuming that Debo Samuel's out, but he's got a path to be better than that for sure. I think my fear with this offense is that they'll just run it a ton, they'll throw a little bit to the backs, they'll rely heavily on Kittle, and they'll scatter the wide receiver targets over every active receiver in a way where no receiver is getting more than five targets per game until Debo comes back. And it could just be good for them as a team and bad for Mm -hmm. us as fantasy players. 
think that's definitely a fair concern. And remember, the best pass-catching back on that entire team was injured all year last year, Jarek McKinnon, now back healthy, ready to take on a meaningful role in this offense this season. That will do it for this episode of Fantasy Football in 15. That'll do it for the week of episodes on Fantasy Football in 15. Thanks so much for listening with us. Please rate, review, subscribe. You know that deal. Also, we still have that 40% off deal, active and running. Go to theathletic.com slash footballin15 and get yourself 40% off your first year subscription to The Athletic. For DVR, I am Michael Beller. Fantasy Football in 15 will be back with you next week. Until then, have a great weekend, and thanks for listening.